Hi, and welcome to Mark's Movie Collection. This is the episode, which is my number three favorite film. And I am Mark D. I am the eponymous Mark in Mark's Movie Collection. And this is my number three top film. This is a 2005 movie. I kept calling it a 2006 movie. Feels like a 2006 movie, but it's more like a 2005 movie. That's called Brick. And this movie is written and directed by Ryan Johnson. Ryan Johnson, from literally the first time I saw this movie, became one of my instant favorite filmmakers. So I am I am pretty hyped for this movie. But now to kind of give you an idea of what this is going to be like, I've seen this movie more than a couple times. I've seen it with commentary. But I don't think I'm going to regurgitate the plot either. Because I don't know that that is valuable. I think that you should be watching this movie right now. And it's on Netflix. And everyone has Netflix or has a friend who has Netflix. So I think that everyone should watch this movie right now. Because I genuinely love this movie. If I'm, I'm going to call you out right now if you take offense at this movie to say that you uh, should be more open to deconstruction and to homage. Because ultimately, this is a deconstruction as per Ryan Johnson. He wanted to see if this genre of film could work taken outside of its traditional setting. And I think that it does. I think that it does spectacularly. And I will speak a little more onto that after the break. But once again, this is my number three favorite film by one of my favorite filmmakers, Ryan Johnson. Check it out. Well, check out how I try to stop the recording and I don't know where my cursor is. Okay, so by now I have I have seen Brick and I hope I really genuinely, truly, honestly, 110% cream of the crop. The cream always rises. Ricky Steamboat on balance, off balance. Um, listen, if Macho Man were alive, I think that he would have he would have wanted you to watch Brick before listening to this podcast. I am genuinely excited. I am so excited right now. I am I am back in my office studio. I think I sound good. I think I sound great. I think a lot's going on. I think a lot's going for me right now. So, pretty hyped. Not going to lie. Having a little bit of technical difficulties as to how I am monitoring myself in that it's fucking weird, but I'm getting there. So I don't I don't know where to start on this movie because there are so many things about it that I like and watching the movie and and listening to the commentary and things like that I've learned so much about what makes the difference between good movies and great movies. And Brick in my mind is a great movie. It is an independent movie. It is a small movie uh with an estimated budget of $475,000. Sub 1 million. Opening weekend, USA, 2nd of April, 2006, it made $83,000. Gross USA, 2 mil. So off a $475,000 budget, 2 mil gross is 
great. It is wonderful. I'm hyped for it. Hype. Really hype. I wonder if I'm hitting the limiter or what. My voice sounds a little weird to me, but maybe this is what it sounds like when I speak this loudly and this energetically. Or maybe it's just the compressor actually doing its job. Right? So, Brick, where do I even where do I even start? Right? There's there's a lot going on here. There's a lot going on here. Oh, there is so much going on here. Um so I'm on the IMDB page, as you can hear me clicking around. And these are actually things that I've never seen, this IMDb page. I've never actually looked at the trivia for Brick on the IMDb page. But there's the first two posts that I see are, are literally lighting up all my lights. The first post is uh, goes as follows. There's a theory on Ryan Johnson's official forum that the brain only exists inside Brendan's mind. While Ryan will neither confirm nor deny the theory... He has said it is, quote-unquote, without a trace of irony, my favorite post on the forum. And the fact that Ryan Johnson participates and is excited by these things is wonderful. Because even if he, even if the brain does exist, which as far as I know the brain does exist, to me the brain exists. So if the brain exists, then... He is okay with fans having these theories and these feelings and these emotions and, and, and participating with the movie, not just consuming it in a, in a unidirectional fashion. The second post says, Ryan Johnson cited Spaghetti Westerns and Cowboy Bebop as influences on his visualization of the movie. I have to say right at the top that I fucking love Cowboy Bebop. I love Cowboy Bebop. It is so fucking good. And if you haven't seen Cowboy Bebop, I might as well do a Cowboy Bebop like watch through or something. Or I have friends that also fucking love Cowboy Bebop on it because why the fuck not? Because Cowboy Bebop is so fucking good. I'm going to do that. As of right now, Ryan Johnson has steeled me, has steeled me to have a Cowboy Bebop podcast. It'll be 20 whatever episodes plus a movie, 26 plus a movie, I think, or 24 plus a movie. And that'll be it. So interestingly enough, a uh, third post was actually something I wanted to talk about and I hadn't looked up yet. So this is helpful. The music score was composed by Ryan's cousin, Nathan Johnson, with additional supporting music from the Cinematic Underground. And the score harkens back to the style, feel, and overall texture of noir films. And this is accurate. So one of my one of one of the games that I, I really enjoy is Rockstar's LA Noir, as as shrouded in controversy as the development of that game is in. I genuinely enjoyed playing it. I enjoyed being in that environment. And, and feeling those things, and I enjoyed the music so, so much. The L.A. Noir theme is, uh, I think, by Andrew Hale, off the top of, off the dome, is one of my favorite pieces of video game music. And it lives amongst, like, you know, Legend of Zelda and, and Mega Man, epic, epic tracks, Sonic the Hedgehog. It lives in that space for me. L.A. Noir, 
which is maybe a more slept on game because there's no shitty multiplayer where you can be shitty to other people or things like that. I, there, that's, I have a lot of criticisms about how we consume games now. And I, I, I'll leave that for another thing. But the music felt so authentic. And I'm going to double down on that in that. I'm going to double down on that in that this movie really, truly, and honestly sparked my love for film noir and detective fiction, right? So I I watched this movie for the first time, and I, I don't know why I watched it. I genuinely do not know how I came across it. But I watched it. I have I have the DVD somewhere. I just I hit it up on Netflix right now because I just I I needed it. I needed to do this. I needed to get it done. So I just I hit it up on Netflix and I watched it again. I've seen it a bunch of times. I've seen it with commentary. And and if there's a Blu-ray with additional stuff, I will buy that shit too. Because I love this movie. But the first time that I saw it. I must have rented it or or seen it on TV or or borrowed it or something because as I was watching it, I was questioning as to what the fuck am I watching? What the fuck is happening? How is everybody fucking okay with this? But it sold me. It captured me. It It enchanted me. The movie enchanted me. It captivated me. It enthralled me even so i go and naturally i hit that director commentary and he's like oh no you know this is really um about you know the writing of DeShiel hammett so fucking instantly what i do is i go on amazon and i start hitting buy on DeShiel hammett i have several DeShiel hammett books and they are fucking great DeShiel hammett for those of you who don't know is sometimes credited with one of the inventors of, or maybe the inventor of the noir genre of, of fiction. But that actually is even more interesting because it comes from his actual experiences being a private detective. So he writes a lot in the first person. Uh, one of his famous characters is called the Continental Op, that he is an operative for the Continental Detective Agency. And that, kind of triggered that memory when um, when Brendan asks Brain if he'll op for him again, right? And I'm, I'm doing quotation fingers in the air as if you can fucking see them or as if this microphone wouldn't be in my fucking face because, you know, the boom arm doesn't hold the thing up at the end and uh, details. I'll work those out one day. I'll, I'll, I'll spend a little bit of money for a better microphone arm and, and we'll get there collectively as a group. But these stories of the Continental Op felt so genuine and so authentic, and the writing style, the prose was so atypically blunt. As opposed to being flowery, it was blunt. It was, matter of fact, it was to the point. It was almost Hemingway-ish. So this style of prose being so blunt, um, I can hit you with quotes and stuff, but I I super fucking strongly recommend that you go on Amazon and see if you can, if you have Prime, maybe you have a Kindle or the Kindle app. Maybe you can borrow from the library like 
a DeShiel Hammett or a Raymond Chandler book. And the second I said Raymond Chandler, I fucking remembered something else. I remembered that there's another movie that is probably number four to my number three. And I think that they knife fight a little bit for that space, but I think that Brick wins because Brick was the first one for me. But I'm gonna I'm gonna step on I'm gonna I'm gonna bury the lead here a little bit and say that um Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is probably my number four favorite movie in the world. So I'll get to that eventually because I fucking love that movie and I will use any excuse to watch it. And The Nice Guys was also a very good kind of spiritual successor. But Kiss Kiss Bang Bang still still does it for me. Anyway, I I Kiss Kiss Bang Bang came from Raymond Chandler because Raymond Chandler wrote the book Lady in the Lake, which Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is loosely kind of plotted off of, but it's also so fucking meta. And oh God, it's so good. It's so good. Anyway, discovering the writings of the Shield Hammett and and Raymond Chandler, I have I don't know, something approaching like four or five books. I went to this fucking Library of America fuck ass website and I bought hardcovers for Raymond Chandler. I bought books off eBay. Uh, eBay doesn't seem to have a lot of deals lately, guys, but one of the things that I've been buying off eBay for almost 20 years now at this point, actually, is books. I buy books off of eBay. I used to use half.com all the time for books and video games, but you know they closed that down because why the fuck would they want to sell you more things, right? Half.com was great for books and video games, but eBay still kind of coming through for books because people sell books in lots. You don't have to look for a book that you want. You should look for an author that you want and then buy a bunch of books. And I'm sorry that I'm I'm hiccuping and burping and all these things. I'm just, I'm super fucking excited. I'm talking straight from the diaphragm right now, you know? This is some, some real radio shit right here. Podcasts, life, but... I bought lots of books from eBay of Dashiell Hammett, Raymond Chandler, and I devoured them. I fucking destroyed them. You know, Poisonville, Continental Op books, you name it. The Library of America ones are actually nice hardcover books. I don't like the dust jackets. I don't care for them personally. There are very few dust jackets that I do like, uh, but the Library of America ones are very telling, and they are uniform i'm not saying that they're ugly i'm just saying that they are the same so you always find those books out of the pile i like them without the dust jackets they're just more nondescript as it would be but yeah i definitely recommend if you did enjoy this movie that you jump right into reading to hammett and getting into raymond chandler these two are titans titans of the genre um i went so far as to go back and read one of the first kind of detective books which was the moonstone and who the fuck wrote the moonstone Moonstone by wilkie collins in 1868 that is sometimes considered to be the first detective novel but one of my other favorite authors edgar Allan poe wrote uh c auguste dupont he wrote uh murders in the rue morgue and the purloined letter um, my entry into detectiveness, though, came through Sherlock Holmes, 
When I was nine years old, my family was going on a road trip, and we stopped at Barnes & Noble uh, roughly the day before to buy a couple books because um, I am a child who read a lot. I read a lot of books. I do so less now, but I still try to. But when I was a kid, man, I hit books super hard. And I bought a hardcover illustrated version of Hound of the Baskervilles. And I had known who Sherlock Holmes was because you just know. And I'm sure I had seen The Great Mouse Detective at some point, right? Because the the cliche of Sherlock Holmes with the deer stalker cap and the pipe and things like that were familiar to me. But reading reading the Hounds of the Baskervilles, um, especially from the perspective of Watson through most of it, because Holmes is largely absent, was so fucking enthralling. So I really got into these kinds of detective books. You know, seriously, I've read the entire collection of uh, Conan Doyle's Sherlock Holmes, and I've read uh, Shadows Over Baker Street, which is a compendium of kind of uh, Cthulhu mythos, mythos Sherlock Holmes short stories of which uh, Neil Gaiman wrote a fucking spectacular one called A Study in Emerald. What a great fucking writer Neil Gaiman is. I've also went on a Neil Gaiman binge for a couple years. I read a bunch of his stuff. Uh, what was it? Neverwhere, American Gods, The Ocean at the End of the Lane, uh, Stardust, I believe is a Neil Gaiman book. Is Stardust a Neil Gaiman book? I'm, I'm just going to double check that. Stardust book. Yes, Stardust is a Neil Gaiman book, and I read it. I was basically devouring anything that he wrote for a little while. But his Sherlock Holmes story, A Study in Emerald, is spectacular. I digress. Well, I, I don't. I do. But I'm, I'm kind of circling back. But you're understanding my fandom, right? And if you haven't seen the movie, go watch the fucking movie right the fuck now. I haven't even started talking about the movie yet. I'm 20 minutes in, roughly. But this is an homage to that genre, but it is also deconstruction of that genre. Ryan Johnson talks about, like, does this work if we pull it out of, you know, San Francisco, if there's no Humphrey Bogart looking for the Maltese Falcon or who murdered his partner, if there's no Sam Spade, if there's no Continental Op, right? Um, God, what was Raymond Chandler's great character? Uh, Raymond Chandler. Raymond Chandler had a recurring character who I whose name I can't come up with right now. Uh, as a writer, Farewell My Lovely, Blue Dahlia, Philip Marlowe, right? Raymond Chandler's uh, famous character was Philip Marlowe, and Raymond Chandler himself had such a fucking legacy. If you've ever read a uh, Harry Bosch novel by uh, Michael Connelly, Connelly, I have a problem saying his name in a way that I like, um, but I do enjoy his novels. So if you've seen a Bosch novel or you've seen Bosch on Amazon, um, The Big Sleep and The Long Goodbye are kind of like kind of big influences in there, you know. Um, 
The Wrong Side of Goodbye, I think, is like an homage to The Long Goodbye. I think that's a side of goodbye. No, it's 2016. So there was a Harry Bosch novel that was uh, definitely not of that vintage um, novels. I think it was The Last Coyote. God, what Harry Bosch novel was this? Um, it wasn't Black Echo, because Black Echo was kind of like the first season, but sort of not. So Michael Connolly's 1993 book, uh, The Black Ice, was a little bit like The Long Goodbye. And uh, he received the Maltese Falcon Award for it, um, Private Eye Novel of the Year in Japan right michael connelly is a huge fan of the genre and unabashedly is a fan like he's not trying to hide anything he's like i love this shit and i'm writing the fuck out of it so ryan johnson loves this shit and he is writing the fuck out of it and filming it too ryan johnson does a stellar fucking job of making a goddamn movie i i don't even know where to begin I don't even know where to begin. I mean, I could talk about things like Joseph Gordon-Levitt's shoes. Brendan, his character, those shoes are shoes that Joseph Gordon-Levitt had for years. And in the scene where he's being run down by a would-be assassin, and they're flopping in the air, like, that's what happened. And they eventually had to, like, tape the shoes up. You know, it's one of these wonderful things about making a movie for $400,000. But those shoes felt right. Everything feels good in this movie in that it doesn't feel... Nothing is too shiny. Nothing is too perfect. Nothing is too obvious. Everything is kind of in the background. They do do... <laughs> they do do. They do a lot with the wardrobe. They do a lot with the set design. They do a fuck ton with the cinematography. But the unsung fucking star of this movie is sound design. And Ryan Johnson was deeply involved in that as well. And if you listen to the commentary, if you if you acquire a disc, wow, it is mind-blowing. Ryan Johnson started the, uh, the uh, what is it, like a footsteps gag in this movie. He does it again in Looper. And I think he might have done it in The Last Jedi, I don't remember. But I feel like I was like, ha! When I watched that movie, I feel like I pointed that out to myself um, because I notice these things and I, I keep track of these things. So this is one of those things where I was deeply, deeply invested in this movie. I love the way this movie opens, too, because you don't know. You don't know what you're in for. You have no fucking clue what you're in for. Even when you start watching it, you're like... I don't know what I'm watching just yet. The advertising, I saw the trailers, they kind of sold it as a mystery and it's the whole like uh, word association thing with brain for a little bit. And it's cute and it's cool, but it is it is not doing this movie justice, quite justice, because this is fucking stellar. This is a stellar fucking movie. So 
in his first interaction with Brain, we're getting this like rapid fire. Um, Gilmore Girls is really the contemporary version of this, but this is almost like a My Gal Friday kind of uh, repertoire that's very snappy, just snaps everywhere, you know? Everybody's got a, a fast snap back, just pow, 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 pow. And we have these, we have these characters that are through their wardrobe and their mannerisms are so archetypal, maybe is the word that I'm looking for. Familiar was almost the word, but I found them to be a little weird. Um, and I found the environment to be a little weird too, because we're normally traditionally used to a city type of setting for this movie. So one of the things that, that Ryan Johnson purposefully did is that he pulled it out of the city. This did not take place in LA or New York like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. This takes place in whatever fucking rando-ass Southern California town that Ryan Johnson grew up in. This is filmed at his high school, and the, the mall was a mall that he used to walk through to go home and things like that. Like, they pulled it out. The, this isn't a, a foggy, vestibule, gun sh gunfight type of thing. Quite the opposite. It's a very suburban, very suburban, very grounded in normal ass human life kind of thing. But there are, are benefits to this. There is a sparseness of, of frame and these beautiful elevation changes and vistas that wouldn't necessarily be available to you in a very uh, urban environment. You would have a lot of very busy frames, a lot of detail. Whereas in here, they make, in this movie, they make extensive uses of wide angle lens and, um, God, what is the cinematographer's name? This is a cinematographer that has worked with Ryan Johnson for a lot of his work. Um, Yelpin? Yelpin? I'm looking it up right now. I'm sorry. I had written it down, but it's probably faster for me to find it on the computer. Steve Yed Yedlin. Yedlin. Y-E-D-L-I-N. Remember his name, because he does great fucking work. He was actually the DP on The Last Jedi, Brothers Bloom, and Looper, among other things. Um, but he has worked with Ryan Johnson a lot, and in a way that... I'm going to compare Ryan Johnson to... Edgar Wright again, not that they are the same, but in that they similarly enjoy the process of, of crafting and creating these experiences uh, from whole cloth. They are, are writer-directors primarily, and the reason for that is that they have a unique vision and they see with that vision through the writing phase and into the production phase where it turns into a movie, where it turns into a visual representation of what's on the page of the script. These are important things because they use the medium. They use the medium of the movie. They use the frame, the sound to its fullest. So them writing their own scripts allows them to do that to the max because they are seeing it whole cloth. They are the quote unquote full stack developers of movies, even though full stack developers usually don't know shit about shit or they are pretentious as fuck. Don't get me started on full stack developers. But anyway, I digress again. And I'm sorry for all the digressions. There's a lot of energy here. 
there's a lot of energy here. I am I am genuinely excited to be talking about this movie. Um, I don't want to play favorites, but I signed myself up to do my top three, so I'm fucking doing them. Anyway, going back to Steve Yedlin and the economy of frame, maybe economy of frame. They, they are sparse, not quite minimalist, but almost framing like the the low angle framing with the succulent and the mall and um, the use of the steel yard balance on these frames. I feel like there's like a ton of of golden ratio and um, steel yard balance on all of these frames. And this is an aesthetic that appeals to me. I, um, I'm an amateur photographer. I was, I am, I, I used to be a lot more. I used to shoot on film, process my film and print my black and white film. I don't do that anymore just because of availability of facilities and, and time and, and money and things like that. Um, but I still kind of, see in those ways occasionally and and it's rare that i pick up a camera nowadays but when i do it 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 feels good it feels right photography is is maybe one of my greater passions even though i might not be as accomplished or you know i might not be as good at it as others that's okay i am i am a fan of the art a, a dilettante if you will in the best sense of the term you know the an enthusiast and I recognize the greatness in some of these frames when Brendan is talking to the vice principal who is played by Richard Roundtree, by the way, and is super fucking intimidating, even being old. It is so good uh, how they are framed. They are these like low, almost Dutch angles. Like if you're watching uh, Stanley Kubrick's The Killing, uh, is it The Killing or The Killers? Kubrick uh, The Killing. Kubrick's The Killing, um, and, and Kubrick's not fucking around. You know this guy is just a straight killer. And there's these low angles that are are kind of Dutch. They're, they're kind of obtuse. They're wide, and there's a beauty in that. There's a beauty in these minimalist wide shots. They establish the environment for you. You know what you're looking at. You know the totality of the environment, but you also have this balance in them that is almost zen um there's one shot with kara where she is in the i think it's kabuki makeup or or something like that she's in some some type of japanese makeup and she is framed low angle against the broken mirror and that is a breathtaking shot for me anyway there are many breathtaking shots but that one really stood out in this viewing. Um, the characters, I, I'm loath to, I'm loath to read any kind of reviews at this moment in time because I am so fucking hyped and I am so invested personally in this movie. And this is Mark's movie collection, so you will get my personal view of this movie. I'm not trying to be objectivist. I think that the characters are wonderful. I think that they are not necessarily flushed out in terms of you spend 20 minutes with this character. You obviously spend time with the major players of the the drama, but you they are they're 
screen time is very dense. Every character has such dense screen time. You need to be paying attention to everyone all the time. You need to pay attention to everyone all the time because there is always information about them that you could be extracting from what is happening. And that's kind of how I watch movies nowadays, right? I try to extract the information because I know that there are things that people say and there are blatant exposition points and things like that. But I also know that there are movies and filmmakers that have purposefully designed what you are seeing and what random task a character is performing, what is in their background of their home that communicates them to us on a more on a more subliminal level, right? So we have Brendan, and Brendan is is maybe the the star of this drama, and he is whip smart. He would be the placeholder for our detective, but he is not. He is our hero, but he is maybe not a hero, if you get that. And in his interaction with uh, the vice principal, played by Richard Roundtree, he. Uh, He's talking, the vice principal's talking about how he assisted their office previously in apprehending somebody. And um, Brendan summarizes it very succinctly in that he says, I gave you Jer, Jerry, I gave you Jer to see him eaten, not to see you fed. And everything about Brendan uh, communicates a very strong independence. Brendan uh, repeatedly communicates that to others as well. He doesn't like being told what side he's on, all of those things. And it is, he's a wonderful character uh, for us as the audience to kind of follow along. He is not a stand-in for us because a detective or a hero in a noir usually shouldn't be, but we are along with him and we are, are at pace with him for the majority of the journey. There's Laura, who is, um, you know, a very attractive, very seductive, very charismatic personality. And she is affluent, and she is yet involved in this game of, of death, essentially, at, at some points. We have the Kingpin, who is this uh, cryptic, kind of mysterious, menacing figure who has one leg which is way shorter than the other, and he walks around with a cane, and he is quote-unquote old and, and lives with his mother. And what, what a fucking atmosphere surrounding that character. Uh, his performance and his setting and all of these things, the lighting on him, the basement scene where he is in shadow, his eyes are in shadow, it is wonderful. We have uh, Dode, who is just this fucking maniac, drug addict, and that's a fun interaction in and of itself because he's like the wild card, and you don't necessarily know what's going to happen when he's around. And then we have uh, Tug, and both of the actors are named Noah, and it's like Noah Segan and uh, Noah, ba -ba -ba -ba. Noah, 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 Noah. I'm looking for another Noah, Noah Fleiss. Noah Fleiss is Tugger. Noah Segan is uh, Dode. And they're wild cards. They're like flashes and pans and shit's going wild. And it's emotions running rampant. And it is so 
engaging because you really want to be paying attention when these guys are on screen, when these characters are on screen. Nora Zahetner uh, plays Laura, the ostensibly the femme fatale. I've been trying to put that off until this point because, God damn it, I hope you watch the fucking movie. Uh, Lucas Haas plays the pin. Matt O'Leary plays the brain. Wonderful. The brain, brain is a fucking wonderful character. He is such a facil- facilitator, and it's so fun to see him be him, right? And he's called the brain because he's smart, and it's just, it's so fucking satisfying. Uh, he's all solving Rubik's Cubes and shit. It's wonderful. Uh, Emily de Ravine plays Emily, which is a fun coincidence, and she was in Lost. So if you've seen Lost, that, you know, whatever. If you've seen Lost, go for it. Uh, Brian White was another wonderful character who was kind of a bit character, but he has some of the best gags, and he plays Brad Bramish. And speaking of Brad Bramish, let me uh, and and Kara, Karen, Kara is played by Megan Good. These two characters um, have some of the best gags in the movie. Um, so Brad Bramish with the 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 kick to the leg and the oh yeah, and and stuff like that is is really really fun. And Kara has this thing where she has uh, a boy on her lap at all times. So when she's sitting in in drama or in her dressing room, because she's a, a drama girl and that's her setting, she always has a boy in her lap. And there's in the beginning, um, Brendan, who is Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character, says, you know, lap dog shoe or whatever. And then she's like, run, hurry, get my purse. You didn't know that there was literally a boy on her lap. And that's a funny reveal. But when it happens Again, like that is legit and intentional and wonderful and purposeful comedy, um, but n- not necessarily in a funny haha moment because it's not a funny haha moment, but it is a moment that the scene, the tone of the scene switches intensely. What an intense switch of of that scene! There's a lot going on. This, this is a, a wonderful craft. I, I mean, I don't even know. How to even get into this? This is I'm 42 minutes in, and I'm now introducing characters. And I mean, if I really wanted to, like, I could just let you watch the movie and kind of interpret it for yourself. But you must understand. Once you've seen the movie, you now understand the subtext of every interaction. For the most part, every character that Brendan interacts with knows more about what's going on than Brendan. So Brendan is always at the, at the speed of the audience. There's a couple of times where he's not. And one of those times is when he finally tells brain that Emily is gone. Right. And that's when the movie kind of catches up with the intro. And at that point, the audience and Brendan no more than brain. And that is just like a, a wonderful counterbalance to that situational irony. And there's another point in the later movie where there is a Chekhov's gun with the trunk in Tugger's car that goes off. And we know more than other characters in the movie, but Brendan also knows that. And it feels good for us. This movie is a mystery. Yes, it is a detective fiction Yes, but at no point does it 
gratuitously withhold information from us. It gives us rewards. It has setups and payoffs all throughout the movie to keep us, the viewer, engaged, but also to maybe keep the main character motivated. Because if you are a, a character in a movie and you just keep getting shit on, you might not want to keep going on your quest. So you need wins. You need wins. And we, as the audience, acquire those wins and we and we should derive pleasure from them. I do. I always derive pleasure from figuring something out or learning something new that I didn't previously know before. So I am 100% sold into this movie. This is almost a, uh, a story circle setup where there's some short-term setups and payoffs and some longer-term ones, one of them being the gag with Kara and the lapdog. That one's actually a pretty long-term gag that I guarantee you by the time that you ran into it the second time, you fucking forgot about it. But holy shit, did you laugh when that kid pops up again? I did. And I did it again. And I've seen this movie several times, and I still love that gag. Every gag in the movie I love. I love the the footsteps, uh, the whole nine. Essentially, this entire episode of this podcast has been a love letter to to Brick, to the cast of Brick, to the production crew of Brick, to the uh, musicians behind the score of Brick, um, to the writers of Brick, to the director of Brick, and to everyone surrounding the creation of this movie and the distribution of it to me. And then ultimately to the to the works of fiction that have contributed to this genre, the, the authors who invented this genre. And ultimately, the movie itself is a love letter to that genre and that it it doesn't fall into its cliches, but it obeys the tropes, per se. And tropes aren't necessarily a bad thing. They're just, you know, common things. They're almost archetypal. When you say something's a cliche, then it's bad. When you say it's a trope, it's like an archetype, right? And I saw that on Twitter, so it's got to be true. But this movie is ultimately a love letter. A love fucking letter to hard-boiled detective fiction. And I love hard-boiled detective fiction. I even went into the Hong Kong stuff and I watched uh, Hard-Boiled, Hard-Boiled 2, you know, The Killer, Police Story, A Better Tomorrow. I got really into uh, into the Hong Kong version of the hard-boiled detective uh, genre because of this, uh, but also prior to this, if that makes sense. Um, or, or maybe contemporary. I don't... I know that I saw The Replacement Killers in uh, in 1998, and I did have a crush on Mira Sorvino and things like that. But eventually after that, I saw like A Better Tomorrow and Hard-Boiled and all the other movies that Chow Yun-Fat had been in, and I got into Jackie Chan movies and and things like that. And the ability to create a movie that gets uh, that gets people diving into its backstory and reading the things that influenced it and and branching out and seeing, you know, what are people doing in Hong Kong and, and China and things like that. I think that's amazing. I think that is proof of a work of art that stands a a stands the test of time. I just watched Brick tonight, right now, just a little while ago. 
and it did not feel dated, not for a second. And the motherfuckers have flip phones, but there is no like, oh, I'll fucking text you. They just have phone calls. Like it's not, it's not dated. There's no crazy VFX to speak of. There are a couple of montages. Um, one of the greatest visual effects in actually the movie is the putting the trash bag over the camera in reverse. That's that's one of the greatest effects effects of the movie. They pull a trash can over the camera and then reverse it. But that is the beauty of a four hundred thousand dollar movie with a a very a very smart, very engaged filmmaker and a very uh, simpatico director of photography. And then you have a cast who is all you know very game. The the cast they came to win. It's it's such a wonderful feeling, and I want to project all my good feelings about about being an artist and about creating through this movie. I want someone to see this movie and to understand what it is to be an artist, to be a creator, and to say, that's great. I want to, I want to make the brick of whatever it is that I make or whatever it is that I do. Even if you work at the DMV, you're like, I want to make the brick of this driver's license application or something. Like To have that passion and that drive. I work in IT, and a lot of that is, is making license plates. And if you've never heard the phrase making license plates, it's uh, a phrase that I stole from Neil Stevenson unabashedly. If I could steal everything from Neil Stevenson and just be Neil Stevenson, I would because I I look up to him that much. Um, and if you haven't read his work, uh, you should. And there's so many to go through, but my personal favorite of the works of Stevenson that I've read, which I have not read them all, is cryptonomicon and it is prophetic and i tell everyone i tell everyone i fucking meet but it's a 40-hour audiobook and they're like oh it's a thousand pages fuck you mark no one's gonna read that i read that shit several times i fucking love that book one of my favorite books and i was gonna use a phrase that i stole from neil stevenson and i already forgot which one it was because i went on a rant about neil stevenson okay so going back to i work in it and i make license plates that phrase comes from Neil Stevenson, and it is meant to signify the boring parts of of your job, right? And this comes from Cryptonomicon, and to give it a little more flavor, read the book or listen to the audiobook. It is motherfucking worth it, I promise. If you love history, if you love technology, and if you love, well, you don't have to love the future that you live in now or the present that you live in now, but if you understand the present that you live in now, holy shit. Like, holy fuck, you need to get on this book. Cryptonomicon, Neil Stevenson, 1998 or 1999. So I tease a lot about making license plates, and we do a lot of making license plates. Making license plates on a movie might be like, oh, I got to hang this light and things like that. Oh, fuck, I forgot where this is going. Oh, my God. I'm, I'm genuinely embarrassed. Okay, no, passion, right. So we have to make a lot of license plates. But when we get to build something new or, or implement something new or really do something to make a change on how we work or how others work to benefit them, like that's really fucking hype. And everybody that showed up to make this movie, I feel, was on that tier. I feel like they understood what was happening and they were on board. And seeing a, a cast and crew riding, uh, 
you know, cinematography kind of synergize like that. That's always great to watch. That's always fucking wonderful to watch. You get wonderful movies like Arrival and Sicario and things like that, like just to name it two uh, Denis Villeneuve uh, movies, just right off the top of my head, um, because he's been kind of on my mind. You get movies like that where everything kind of jives and, and works out and feels good. And and Brick is one of those movies where everything worked out and felt good. And it rewards the curious watcher, the attentant watcher, and the watcher with a sense of humor, and the watcher with a sense of curiosity, and the watcher with a sense of adventure, ultimately. And I, I try to go into every movie that way. I don't, I don't want to be the person to dismiss a movie before I've seen it. Even though I've already done that, I will never watch A Star is Born. The advertising campaign 100% solidified the fact that I will never watch that stupid fucking movie. Because the next time that I see Lady Gaga turn around and, you know, make that fucking face at me, I'm just going to turn off the screen or the TV that I'm looking at. Their advertising campaign on Twitter was so aggressive that it, they have uh, essentially removed me from the viewership of that movie, regardless of how good or bad it may be. And by all accounts, it's been very good. I'm not watching it. So so this movie was a wonderful con- confluence of departments, department heads, heads of department, uh, but ultimately artistic vision. And being a creator and, and participating in this, this is the example that creators should hope to aspire to to any independent filmmaker you should watch this movie and not say i'm going to make brick but something i'm going to make something as as passionate as brick i'm going to pay as much care to brick as the makers of brick paid to it it is a standard that i would love for everyone to live up to because i know that there are a lot of wonderful ideas out there that never get made and a lot of very smart people that never get their their stuff quite through the door. But don't give up, because I've seen Brick, and I'm positive that Brick was difficult to get to the door for a hot second. But once it started rolling, it didn't stop. And once you once you see it, it's so it is so transcendent of its budget. It doesn't feel small budget. It just feels good. To me, at least. And maybe that's the best thing you can say about a movie. Because movies are a factor of of artistic vision intersecting with economics. So to have the artistic vision and to kind of hit the that intersection in the optimal place where the economics meet it, it, it reasonably is maybe such a fucking win. This isn't a $200, uh, $200 million movie. This is a $400,000 movie, a $500,000 movie. Half a million dollars is how much this movie costs. And they did it. They fucking did it. And I'm just, I'm happy for it. I'm happy about it. I want to tell, I want to stand on my roof and and yell out to my neighbors. Watch Brick. Watch the 2005 movie Brick starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Written and directed by Ryan Johnson. 
What a wonderful fucking movie. They may not listen to me, but that's what I want to tell them. And that's what I'm telling you. So I don't know. I don't know what else to say. I don't know what else to say. Do you want me to say that the cinematography in the movie follows the vision of Brendan a lot of times and it focuses in when he focuses in and we feel like we're part of his journey because of it? Because we do and it does. But I don't know that. I don't know that me telling you that is the same as you seeing it for yourself and innately understanding it and how how focused everybody was towards the same vision and how well it was executed. Um, can I tell you about the sound design where he gets into a fight in a parking lot and they use, uh, you know, like zooming car sounds to emphasize the punches? Because some people might not notice that, but it helps sell the punches. It helps make it feel like a real fight, but it's just car sounds that would be heard on this uh, roadside parking lot. And it's wonderful. And it is beautiful and it is fantastic. And it is a work of art. So that's Brick. That's uh, that's 2005's Brick. I'm done. I'm done. I'm sweating. I've, I've been yelling. I'm yelling everywhere. Yelling all the time. I don't, I don't know what else to do. Um... I don't know what else to say. I have notes. I don't. I didn't take too many because I know the plot, fucking backwards and forwards. Um, but I don't know that that explaining gags to you ahead of time or even after the fact is is worth it. I think that it's almost worth that I don't that I don't investigate it in detail, so that you can kind of think back on what you saw, or even better, watch it again and be like, oh. That's a fucking hilarious gag that I didn't notice the first time. Because I've seen the movie many times. And for a while there, I was picking up new things every viewing. And it was very rewarding, at least to me. But I'm also an asshole that genuinely enjoys watching Jeopardy, and I like to play along. So maybe that's the difference between me and you. Or maybe it's not, and maybe we're the same. Or maybe... Maybe being a Jeopardy nerd is not representative of of being really into the movie and, and seeing how the movie plays out. But once again, you can always tweet at me. Let me know what you feel, what you think. I am at CoolMarkD on Twitter. That is cool with a C and Mark with a K. So you can catch uh, Mark's movie collection on Google Play and uh, iTunes and probably wherever you get a podcast. Um, I have also Mark's, if I said Mark's music collection before, I meant Mark's movie collection. I also have Mark's music collection that is on iTunes. Google Play said that uh, due to the information submitted, it sounds like there could be copyrighted content. There is none. I have no copyrighted content on Mark's music collection, but I also refuse to spend the time to argue with them about it. So I'm just not going to, and I'm, it, it's fine on iTunes. You'll probably find it wherever you find podcasts in your podcatcher. I, I personally basically only listen to podcasts on my phone and mostly 
in the car. Uh, so I use a, a, a podcatcher is what they're called. I use one called Pocket Casts so I can sync across my devices. Um, but the Apple Podcast app is just fucking fine. Uh, Google, I think, just released a new podcast app, but it's not on every phone. I have a... But yeah, podcatchers, check me out. Mark's Movie Collection, Mark's Music Collection. I also have a, a couple other things going on. I had a, a concept for random anime tapes, and that pilot episode already exists, but it's been a little more difficult getting to. There's some technical concerns. I have a VCR hooked up to my computer to watch that. It's it's, it's a little intense. Uh, I also have Mark's game collection, which is hard because listening to music takes some time. An album's 70 minutes. Um, watching movies takes even more time. Movies usually run about two hours, an hour and a half. Uh, but playing games is anywhere from, from 10 to 90 hours. So I don't know how I'm going to get um, Mark's game collection off the ground. I don't think I ever will, to be honest. But that RSS feed exists, and uh, so does Random Anime Tapes, and you can find those on scumbags.com. That's uh, S-C-U-M-M-B-A-G-S, and that is Script Creation Utility for Maniac Man Script Creation Utility for Maniac Mansion. And that's a, a website that I started up with a couple friends of mine, and life got in the way, but I'm kind of pushing it through, and hopefully everybody catches up. But that's been Brick. Uh, I've plugged all the shit that I was going to plug all the way at the end of this episode. I appreciate you so much for listening. It's been such a wonderful time to to share this movie. And even then, I didn't even share the plot. If you, if you punked out and didn't watch the movie, and I released this podcast on a Sunday morning specifically, so you could probably watch the movie that Sunday, um, just go ahead and watch it. Wow. Uh, it is a masterwork. I think I love it to death and I will love it until I die. And it's a movie. So there's that. But, uh, thank you for listening. Catch me up. Uh, next time, next time is going to be Ronan. That is the 1998 John Frankenheimer movie starring Robert De Niro, Jean Reno, and Natasha McElhone, uh, Sean Bean, Jonathan Price, and another French guy and Stellan Skarsgård. And those are the people that I know just kind of, off the, off the top of my head but it's a wonderful movie and i love it and i hope that you see it uh in the coming week or at least you know when you first listen to the intro for the podcast because that is my second favorite movie I'm not saying it's the second best movie ever made objectively ah fuck you academy of sciences and things no i'm saying it's my second favorite movie and it is by all accounts an action movie so it is something that most dude bros could probably get behind but it's smart enough that a lot of people, I think, might see a lot of value in it. So, yeah. Um, keep playing those movies. Keep. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. 